This week we will discuss... Nom de plumes, raisinettes, deep dark secrets, and cold-blooded murder. Is this an Oscar Wilde podcast now? Sure. Welcome to Circle Yerk, an Animorphs podcast. I'm Barry. I'm Shawnee. Shawnee, may the Kendrona shine and strengthen you. What is it we do here on Circle Yerk? Well, mostly every week I fuck up this explanation. Um, but let's see if I can <laughs> sort of get it. You have read the Animorphs books. Or you are reading... <laughs> For the first, like, ten episodes, you had this on lockdown. <laughs> I think I'm just, like, over overthinking it. Okay, 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 okay. We have never read the Animorphs books. You are now reading them in stages to me. <laughs> this is the easiest part. It's really not. Um, I react to your recaps and remember nothing between episodes. <laughs> or something like that. Should I have some bad news for you? No questions? Excellent. No well, questions moving on. because there was nothing new or interesting that happened at the end of the Andalite's Gift. We are going to dive right into it. Instead of questions, I am going to play for you the brief impromptu interview that I had the pleasure of recording with Catherine Applegate. Finally! <laughs> After all that teasing, ladies and gentlemen, the interview. I shouldn't say ladies and gentlemen. No. Here it is, folks. The interview. I'm here with Catherine Applegate. I wow! I can't believe that happened. Hello. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, let's start by saying lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I know you've you've been on this whirlwind of a book tour, so it, it means so much to me that you would, that you would take a few minutes to talk. To oh, me. are you kidding? I'm thrilled. I asked some of our listeners about some questions that they wanted me to ask you, cool. uh, and there were two. That kind of rose to the top one was, can we expect to see another film adaptation or screen adaptation in any sense of the Animorphs, but but really any of your works? Well, that's a painful question and a complicated one. Um, we, my husband, Michael Grant, and I um, do not own the TV movie rights to Animorphs. We, we wrote it when we were very young and foolish and um, not particularly well represented. And so we have the lit end, but we do not have that. And so we back and forth with uh, the powers that be as they attempt to make a movie and apparently are continuing to attempt to make a movie out of Animorphs. It would be so good now because the, the CGI, the Morse would be fantastic. And did you ever see the Nickelodeon TV show? Uh, one episode. <laughs> what is enough? <laughs> We had nothing to do with that. We were not we were not allowed to have anything to do with it. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, they were. It was very much you know styrofoam and tinfoil and very. Uh, well, if you look at like some of the some of the older Doctor Who episodes, like that was part of the charm. Like the alien was just a trash can with a spoon. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you. The, the second wasn't really a question. It's just a lot of people wanted me to express their gratitude for you for for writing. You know, something that was very transformative for a lot of, of, of these, these readers at an you know, important time in their life. Your, your writing, I think, really helped people as, as readers at, at minimum. And just like kind of 
think about deeper questions, uh, philosophical questions. Our listeners want me to just kind of let you know that they're grateful uh, for, for all the work you've done. That's that's pretty cool to hear. It's fascinating to us that, um, and and I'm not bullshitting here, Animorphs fans grow up to be the most wonderful human beings. And I think it was kind of a self-selecting group. You know, it was smart, quirky, interesting, uh, looking at the world a little different kind of kids. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, and, and to a person, when I meet an Animorphs fan, I'm like, wow. And I fully am ready to take credit, as is Michael. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I, I just think it's remarkable, and that it has created this, uh, this new round of nostalgia is is uh, fantastic. Well, that's that's a great point too, because I'm not one of those people that grew up reading the animals. Oh, really? I'm reading them now for the first time. Interesting. And there's a lot of people my age that are just getting into them. Like it's really neat to go into. A chat room about a book that's been out for like almost 27 years now and for people to be like please no spoilers like there's a lot of people that are that. just picking this up whether it's like oh, that fomo nostalgia blend but yeah there's it's it's kind of neat and i'm really enjoying them so far oh, they were not what i was expecting well, uh, you know i don't think they were what scholastic <laughs> either. The, the great thing this was back in the era where they had a book a month coming out and it was um scholastic book club made a lot of that possible um and booksellers were accommodating so you'd have uh goosebumps was you know coming out once a month at Babysitters Club, and then Animorphs, and uh, I think, and we had fantastic editors. Don't get me wrong, but I think they were just everybody was like, okay, just get another book out there, <laughs> and they stopped caring so much about how dark they were getting, and they they didn't start out that way. We didn't intend for them to go that way, but um, it, it it's a war story. Exactly, and, uh, war stories, you know, don't always end happily. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. Before we end, would you like um, some of this chicken cacciatore? Oh, God, no. Oh, good. Josh just had to make sure. All right. Okay, it's, it's been so amazing to meet you. Thank you oh, again. Absolute delight. Enjoy your time in New England. Oh, thank you so much. So what did you think? She has... It, she seems like a really fun person, first of all. She, yeah, she, I think the first thing right before we started recording, she's like, oh... Can I curse? Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, for a children's author, mostly children's author, right? Like, that's a fair question. Oh, yeah. But also, like, in general, like I adults. guess. Adults, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate how self-deprecating she is about it. She's like, we didn't know what we were doing. That, um, but, yeah, no, she seems like a really fun person. Um and, Yeah, really, really warm vibes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the fact that I'm some big, tall, weird dude that ambushed her at the end of a book signing. And she was <laughs> yeah. like, sure, let's sit down and hang out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, she, she seems like a fun person. I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to meet her. Did you notice that she said that when me and my husband wrote the books? That's actually something that I wanted to talk to you about. One thing this interview made me aware of is that we, at the podcast, have been doing someone dirty here. And that is Michael Grant. Much like how James S.A. Corey is a pen name for both Daniel Abraham and Ty Frannick, K.A. Applegate is really a pen name for Catherine Applegate 
and Michael Grant. And I feel like we've been treating this as Catherine's work alone when that actually isn't the case at all. And that's something. Well, that there I was there was no re- no way that a woman could have done this alone. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's vice versa. I think she she kind of led the charge and he helped out. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did tell her, I came to him like, oh, let's do an interview. Uh, you know, if you want to plug Dogtown at the end, I'll give you that opportunity. She's like, oh no, that's not necessary. And then I forgot to. But so mm-hmm. I'm going to do that now. Uh, her uh, her book Dogtown with uh, Jennifer Childanko is just delightful. Uh, some wonderful illustrations. So this will be our first actual ad on the podcast. Not getting paid for it, but I think everyone should go out and get a copy of Dogtown. I'm excited to run into her again because <laughs> I feel like now that I'm actually more familiar with her books, I'll be able to ask her questions with a little more substance. Like the fact that like she just happened to be in my neck of the woods as we started this podcast. Yeah. Interesting timing. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot during the interview. She spent uh, a lot of time in the service industry which was, when she was younger, which I'm like... Which always right. makes you a better person. 100% of the time. And uh, it was funny. There was one point during the Q&A where she talked about the pressure of like being forced to pop out this product regularly to get with your spouse and be forced to sit down and come up with this creative venture together regularly and i'm like oh at least she was getting paid for that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean we're just doing it for shiggles that sounds like like book a month is kind of crazy considering like that the books are in the 100 page range even though it's like pretty simplistic writing and but like there's still there's still plot to them and just to write that because i have a couple author friends who will take three months to write 80,000 words, which is like 320 pages. So that's uh, crazy. Yeah, and we'll get to a point where they discuss, like much later in the series, their use of ghost writers as well. And, and you know, they weren't a book a month to start off. I think they got that way around book six. Yeah. And the popularity really picked up. But for now, on to another work by Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant, <laughs> The Alien. That is the eighth book in the Animorph series, Axe's first solo narration. Wait, yes, this is Axe's POV. Axe's POV, and blessedly, we are back to solo narration. Thank you. No oh. more shifting point of view for you. Finally, I can sort of follow the story. Maybe. Possibly. Let's take a moment to discuss the cover. Shawnee, would you take a look at that and describe it? So this is... It's... Vagina nose is really throwing me off. It's really bad. So this is Axe's. It's Axe morphing into. Like, Sorry, by vagina nose, do you mean someone has a nose between their legs, or do you mean no? Someone that's has what a. Came to mind? Someone has a waxed right, pussy right. on their face. Um, but it's a. Uh, it's Axe in his endolite form, uh, morphing into a boy. Or and then when and you forth. flip the cover. And when you open the cover, it has a little cutout from the boy's face, and then it's the boys in the, in like a school hallway. It's like a step back cover. That's gonna be fun. Here's a fun fact: before this book came out, there were no official images of Andalites. Like now, it's 2024. We could just Google Andalite, and a million pictures come up, mostly porn. <laughs> but is between that, is that a fact? Oh well. No, no, no. We, no, we, we should have. We an are not watching. We are not watching Andalite. We are not watching Andalite. No, Andalite Rule Thirty Four. I'm sorry. I, I simply refuse. That's too much. But the, the, the tail is too small to, in my mind. In my mind, it's like a proper like whoosh. Ooh, I'm like <laughs> punching walls here. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, in, in my mind, it's a much bigger tail like as a well. Peacock tail. 
sort of Mine, mine's like, like a big like a big blade. Yeah, this is like a little um, pocket knife. Of a... Well, yeah, it's a little teeny one. Between the books, the message, and the alien now, people just had to rely on their imagination and the doodles their friends passed them in class as to what Andalites looked like. But now that this book is out, there is an official, hey, here's an Andalite, kids. You know what's really funny? So you don't have a visual imagination. Correct. I do. So when I'm reading a book, it's a movie, or when I'm hearing a narration of some kind, a movie is happening in my head. And to me, like, like even before I had you shown me pictures of Andalites and whatever, that is exactly what I, like, imagined them to look like. Maybe more of a deer face for some reason. I wonder if it was the same case for people who were reading them before there, there was, like, art. Well, if you're one of those people, send us an email at circleyerk at gmail.com and let us know what you think. This kind of makes me think about how when a TV adaptation of a book comes out, it kind of ruins the image of the character that I had by overriding it with the actor. Kind of how before Game of Thrones, I had my own idea of Jon Snow, but like now it's just Kid Herring to all of us. Yeah, like, or then when actors get cast into roles and it's accurate to the book description and then people get pissy because it's like not a, not a white person because people can only imagine white people in um, there was just a recently a case of, I don't remember what movie it was, but it's literally like, she's, ex- looks exactly like the book character. And it's, uh, I think it's like a 14 year old, uh, black actress and people got so mad. And it's like, it's literally in the, it's the same as Rue in Hunger Games and all this stuff. It's yeah. Like, unless the, the race is somehow vital to the, the story of that character. Like I get not being able to cast a black Abe Lincoln. But, like, otherwise, yeah, you're giving me a look. Yeah, I mean, like, if it's, like, obviously, like, historical figures are different. But if it's, like, accurate... Well, no, not with, like, Bridgerton. Yeah, but actual historical fixtures. Those characters in Bridgerton are still fictional. We're we're talking about two different things. Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter, could he have been black? (laughs) Sure. I, I don't remember what it was, but, like, you know how I... I get off on, like idiots being outraged yeah like the more of these disney remakes with black characters that piss off internet trolls the happier i get yeah yeah, yeah. like i want them to have like oh man i wish they would have had like ariel in a wheelchair that (laughs) could you imagine that would have drive them crazy like oh it would have been amazing she doesn't have legs for most of the movies exactly Uh, but no, uh, so yeah, K.A. Applegate, as we briefly discussed, being the the uh, pen name for Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. I didn't see that many instances of multiple people using one pen name, but as I mentioned, the guys who wrote The Expanse are one. The people uh, who wrote the, the Warriors books, you know, the ones like the cats that, that fight and all with swords... They made a movie out of it recently. What? Yeah, it's called The Warriors. People read it. Do they? Uh, yeah. Um, Is, yeah. Are you talking about you of... and like your one? No, I haven't read The Warriors. Oh, okay. But yeah, there's three people using one pen name. Uh, and there are some people that are only known by their pen names, which I find interesting because some of the greats like Mark Twain, George Orwell. Samuel Clemens. Chuck Tingle. Right. These but we people... don't know. We don't know who <laughs> Chuck Tingle is. Yeah. There was... Just so, like Banksy. <laughs> Maybe Chuck Tingle and Banksy are the same really bored person. Uh, could be. Both equally artistically talented. Chuck Tingle 
there's been for the longest time around the like more unhinged corners of the romance online book communities is that Chuck Tingle is actually Chris Pine. But like it doesn't make any <laughs> sense, but it's like like there or like there's no proof for it. But well, who else could it possibly be? Well, literally, exactly. Who else could it be? <laughs> Let's just keep the rumor going. But Fun- but it's but it's funny that you mention it because like most romance authors are all all right under pen names and it's a lot of the initial initial last name even even my friends who have like mo- it's like they go by their first name and then a fake last name i think it's cuz romance books are seen as being like something something dirty or wrong or perverse that people might oh, not yeah. want their name associated to it for sure and a lot of a lot of romance authors still maintain a day job yeah, it's it's the same way that like moral police. No one, no one's only fans title is going to be like <laughs> Emily Kwasinski. Like no, no, that's fair. That is fair. When I was looking up information about nom de plumes, I came across this really fun fact. Although not a pen name, Anne Rice was not born Anne Rice. You will never, in a million of your Earth years, guess Anne Rice's birth name. And in fact. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to tell you, and you're not going to believe me. You're going to think it's a joke. I feel like I've the second you say it, I, I, I've heard it. Howard. What? Howard what? Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. Wait, what? She grew up Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. Is she trans? Nope. Why was her name Howard? Her mom, a bohemian wanted to name her after her father and thought it would be cool Very patri- for a woman to have a man's name, thought it would give her certain advantages, and decided to change her name from Howard to Anne in first grade after she got bullied really hard. That's awful. For being named Howard. It's kind of a reverse man named Sue situation. Yeah. Oh, but we're here to talk about the Animorphs. Are we? This book opens with a prologue we haven't gotten one of those before. no the first book to do so there's a lot of uh kind of structural changes with this breaking book the mold address one by one it begins with a prologue before earth okay i'm already incredibly excited because i'm getting ready for so much lore so much backstory i'm expecting a lot of info about and like culture and like customs. You mean the world building part in every fantasy book where I just go, what the fuck is happening? You mean the best part? Yes. <laughs> the prologue opens with Captain Nerefir saying, prepare for a return to normal space. Oh boy. Yes, we have our our like third named Andalite. Nerefir? Nerefir. 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 Nerefir is here. No. Axe is on the bridge of the no- of the dome ship, and he is excited to be there. It's his first time on the bridge. He's normally in the dome part of the ship or hanging out in his quarters, but since he's Elfangor's younger brother, he's able to get an invite onto the battle bridge, even though he's only an Aerith. But he's Elfangor's little brother. Yes. Did we know that? Yes, this whole time. Oh. It's it's been it's been brought up. That's why he feels that he needs to. Oh, I thought he was. His brother I, I thought it was just like he was him. like the only one left. No, um, well, I, I could see how he. Became, it was. It was in the message where they weren't really clear about it because he looked and he said, "Elfangor was my brother." So I could see how you might not have gotten that from that. 
Well, like um, like a band of brothers. Yeah. No, no, his his brother. Those would be called uncles. No, what? A band of brothers is like a... No, I know what you mean, but they say he says my uncles. From Henry the Third, I think. Um, and the HBO, R- yes. Richard the, Richard the Third. Richard the Third. But he is only an heirist, spelled A-R-I-S-T-H. Heirist is the Andalite word for a low-level cadet. Do you think their cat just walked across the keyboard when they were coming <laughs> up with these names? Well, I'd be like, one paragraph in, and I'm getting a new Andalite word. Let me add that to my list next to Fleer and Geertmoff. I'm going to need a dictionary. I now officially know more Andalite than I do Finnish. Uh, yeah, that's not that's not far off. Axe didn't expect to be able to visit the bridge because he had this embarrassing run-in with Captain Nerefear once where he wasn't paying attention and like ran into him in a hallway and knocked him over. And as an Andalite, I imagine you've got to be really careful. You're going to take off an arm. Yeah, you have that blade tail. Axe's Do you think brother. they have those, you know, like you buy a knife and you have like a lower Like a sheath? sheath? I'd imagine they'd have to. <laughs> and then you could get like... Or like, like they do it as a punishment, like you're in the corner, you have to wear your... Or like you buy a, a new phone case when you want a different look. Oh, I wonder with like criminals, if they like would ever like remove the tail as like punishment. Ooh. Yeah, but if Andalites can morph, then it's freebie for life theory. And then does it grow back? Well, that's valid, yeah. But yeah, Axe's big brother was the hero, Alfangor... So he could get away with some things. So he's on the bridge. The ship comes out of Z-Space, which is described as a realm of white emptiness. Okay. I get a description of Z-Space. And my brain. And a new word. Yeah. I could put this book right down and I'll be happy. Like, I'm... I'm... That's excellent. Thank you for coming. (laughs) He looked out the window and sees this tiny blue planet amongst the stars. It's Earth. He asks his brother... Do you think you could get old Hoof and Tail to let me come down with you? <laughs> right. Ball and Jane. He's talking about Nerefear. No, the captain. That's oh. like his his nickname for him. Elfangor's like, Axe, shut up. <laughs> because obviously, old Hoof and Tail is standing right behind him. I'm going to start calling you old Hoof and Tail. Elfangor apologizes to Nerefear on behalf of his heiress younger brother. His Hoof and Tail. But the captain takes it all in stride. So, <laughs> I know Axe yeah, is... Take n- a minute. Digest this. Yeah, so, I know that Axe isn't six. <laughs> I finally accepted that. But he was described as, like, a youngin. He's a child, yes. He's not six. But this was, like, before Earth. So, it's not, like, before Earth formed. It's before they got to Earth. Yes. I think <laughs> Axe that... Axe is not... Billions of years old. Well, I just didn't know what kind of timescales we were talking about with their immortality and shit. Sorry. Billions of your Earth years old. Well, they wouldn't even be Earth years yet because there was no Earth. Well, I'm just making sure that I have some semblance of understanding of how old X is. Because apparently for like five or six episodes, at least, I was like, he's six. He's he's a literal child. What kind of Lord of the Rings is you have the... uh... You know, the, the elves elves like, oh, I'm young. I'm only 900. Or the same with um, the Wheel of Time. There's the, or the one, l- orc-like liter- character. Or like, oh, I'm 90. I'm or a literal any fantasy book that has fey in it. So suddenly one of the warriors at the sensor station announces through Thoughtspeak to the ship they've detected the Yurk mothership as well as its 12 Yurk bugfighters orbiting Earth. They say, quote, They'll be within firing range within 12 Earth minutes. How do they know how long Earth minutes are? Have they been to Earth before? Right, at this time, that makes absolutely no fucking sense. 
Like, the Andalites aren't going to change how they talk every time they visit a new planet. Like, if I go to Mars, I'm going to be like, oh, five minutes. I'm not going to be like, well, hang on. Let me th- how many times does Mars go around this, rotate, and then divide it by, and how do I translate Earth minutes into that? It's kind of silly. I get this was written just for kids, but I'm going to shoehorn this into my head canon by saying either A, this is like an Axe POV book, and so he knows this is meant for someone else to read, so he's going to put it in Earth minutes <laughs> for their benefit. Or, we don't know how thought speak works, maybe... There's some sort of automatic translation device, like maybe twelve Earth minutes and three bling blars are the same. So what you hear in Thok speak depends on your native language. Like it translates the concept, not the exact words. I, I don't know. You're so fun at parties. <laughs> anyway, everyone on the bridge gets serious. Nerefir orders the Arith to go to the dome part of the ship. He heads down the drop shaft, you remember those, towards sure. the dome. Kind of pissed that he's going to miss out on all the action. Spoiler alert, no he doesn't. <laughs> he passes by his brother, who is on his way to one of the fighters, and they kind of touch tail blades. Like, I guess that's like a really dangerous version of a high five. <laughs> okay, that's weird. It's some Andalite gesture. Elfangor tells him to be patient. It'll be his day to fight soon enough. Axe says, hey, Elfingor, go burn some slugs. And that's the last time he sees his older brother. What? <laughs> go burn some slugs. Yeah, it's like their, their war, you know. It's like that, oh, it's wartime, so we could be a little racist. <laughs> go, go, go get Charlie. You know, like. Yeah, okay. He looks out at Earth. He learned in school that they have some creatures on that planet that are kind of intelligent. And they're called humans. Kind of intelligent is right. Just as the fighters go after the Yurk bug fighters, he sees the blade ship decloak next to the dome ship. With all the Andalite fighters away, the dome ship's defenseless. The warriors have to split the dome from the stock part of the ship so they can maneuver fast enough to put up a fight. But he looks and saw the stock section of the ship get destroyed. Meanwhile, the dome section he's in... Starts spinning and falling out of orbit, heading towards the planet, and hits the water. After so, okay, so Alfangor is this is Alfangor's crash into the pit. No, this is Axe's crash into the water. Oh, Alfangor is off shooting bug fighters, and at some point he's going to then land. Get the get pit. shot down. Yes, the dome crashes into the ocean surface. It takes a while, but it finally reaches the floor, and he looks out. At this alien sea on the other side of the dome. It'd be so funny if he fell into, like, the Marianas Trench. Just complete blackness with those, like, weird googly-eyed fish with lights. I mean, you just slowly starve to death. That wouldn't be too funny. Yeah. The, the millionaires weren't too happy. He sent out a thought speak call, hoping that his brother would come to save him. But as you and I now know, it wasn't his brother that ended up saving him. It was the Animorphs. It sure was. So the narrative structure switches up here a bit. Chapter one, and every chapter now begins with a short epigraph from Axe's Earth Diary. Okay. Kind of like how Princess Irulan excerpts start the chapter of Dune. And the Foundation has entries from the Encyclopedia Galactica to start each chapter. Is that the TV show with Lee Pace? 
I don't know who Lee Pace is. The Foundation? Apparently it's a really good show. I just can't imagine them doing a good job translating that to screen. I'm, I'm not watching it. Oh, okay. My friend is watching it said that it's great because Lee Pace is really hot. Oh, well, then it must be great. Yeah. Uh, even Watership Down started each chapter off with a quote, which is <laughs> oof, not my media recommendation for this week. No. So this first quote, he talks about how weird it is to see humans walking around on two legs. They look like they're going to fall over. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And then the chapter begins in the classic manner. My name is Aximile Escaruth Estil. He doesn't say he can't tell you his last name because there's no need to hide his name. He doesn't have that whole Spider-Man thing going on where he's got family that he's trying to protect like <laughs> the other Animorphs. Because they're all dead. <laughs> we have a quick Andalite exposition dump about Andalites, morphing, yurks, yada yada. And now we get to the mission. This is a very important mission that his humans friends are setting up with him. It's called going to see a movie. <laughs> oh, God. Marco explains to him, they're going to take him to a theater so he can watch the first Earth Hour of the movie, but he won't be able to finish it because they want to make sure there's enough time for him to like leave and demorph and you know, all that. Why not just look at the runtime of the movie ahead of time and figure out when you got to... Because there are no, like, one-hour-long movies. Children's movies. Yeah. Well, he thinks this would be a good experience for him to learn more about humans and their culture. Jake goes over their backup plan with Rachel. In case there's an emergency and Axe needs to demorph quickly, she's going to take him to Nordstrom. Nordstrom? Right. Her, her logic is Nordstrom has the biggest dressing rooms and the most privacy. So if he needs to morph, that's a good place for him to do it. Okay, because a blue alien in the middle of a Nordstrom isn't going to be eh, suspicious Why at all. Why would he be in the middle of a Nordstrom if he morphs in the... In the, in the Someone's going to come room. and knock on the door and say, what's going on there? Boom, tail blade. <laughs> well, it's something nice to have a shopaholic on your team to help out with things like that. So her memory's fully back? I think so, yeah. She remembers Nordstrom. <laughs> then we get actually a useful piece of exposition. Well, that's a first. He tells us that Tobias is a Nothlet. A bird racist? Is that the word for bird racist? <laughs> oh, I, I wonder if there is an Andalite term for that. No, he, that is the Andalite term for someone who has surpassed their two-hour, two-earth hour limit and is stuck permanently in morph. A nooflet? A noth, nothlet. Nothlet. A nothlet. Now I know four Andalite words. Now I know zero Andalite words. It might behoove you to remember the word nothlet around this time next week. Nothlet. Just, just saying. Okay, I'll make a note. So, yeah, apparently this thing happens often enough that they had to come up with a term for it. He says that he's surprised that Tobias never asked him if he could ever be turned back into a human. He thinks this is because Tobias would be scared to get the answer. As someone who, in the past, has had to not look at his bank account balance to avoid a panic attack, <laughs> I get that, Tobias. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Tobias says, all right, the coast is clear. Axe says, shut the fuck up, and begins his morph. <laughs> he describes the feeling of some of his internal organs melting inside his body Ugh. and the others slipping and shifting around. He feels a jolt when his second and third hearts stop beating all of a sudden. Oh. Two fingers on each of his hands melt away. Remember, too many fingers. And the stalks on his head begin to retract into his skull. I like the fact that you're, like, acting this out to me. 
as as you're explaining it. His tail withers away, and his front legs disappear. He morphed into a young human in a morphing suit because, as we discussed, apparently that's a thing Axe can do. Rachel asks if everything's okay, and Axe responds, "Yes." Yes. Oh no, are we going to get this yes. the entire book? <laughs> Shani, we do. Oh, no. We do. We I do. hated it. Rachel says, mm, guys, I'm not sure if this is such a good idea. What if some controllers might... But Jake's interrupts her. No, 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 no. No talking about controllers today. We've All we've been doing lately is fighting battles. We took down the truck ship. We destroyed the Kondrona. We fought off the Valik. No, this week yeah. we're going to take it easy. Cue them not taking it easy. Well, Axe wants to study humans, so this is a good way for them to do everything. They're going to go see the movie, relax. Axe is going to understand a little bit more about human culture. He wants to learn about humans, but he thinks to himself, he doesn't want them to learn about the Andalites. There are, after all, things that, if the humans knew... They might turn against him. Ooh. That's right. It's a mystery now. What movie do you think they went to see? 1997? When did this book come out? 96, 97. Uh, 97. What movie do you think they saw? I know what movie they saw. Well, I'm sorry. I have a general idea. I have a very limited selection of movies they may have seen. Okay. Is there more description about the movie that they see? Yes, I have a, a good idea of what... It's one of a series. Okay, well, why don't we get to that and I'll guess. <laughs> we get another exposition dump about the Yerks where he says something rather interesting. He says that they could be anyone. They could be your brother, your sister, your parents. God, we know! Well, hang on. He says, and there'd be no way for you to know unless you're an Andalite. I'm like, well, wait, what does that mean? Wait, you've been ho- hiding that information the entire time? Well, I, don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know if he's saying Andalites can tell or if he's just saying, but it wouldn't fool an Andalite. Andalites are really smart. Like, I don't know whether he's being cocky or whether there is this ability. Because remember, when Jake was a controller in the capture, he knew immediately. Yeah. So I don't know if they have some way of sensing it, some technology. Not sure. Why doesn't X just walk around taking them all out with his blade tail? Uh, we'll see. Oh, my God. He talks about how they destroyed the Kondrona together, and they were surprised that it didn't seem to make a difference. This was a few weeks ago. They expected to see a bunch of dead controllers everywhere, but that hadn't been the case, and this is confusing the Animorphs. Rachel gave him some really preppy clothes that he changed into. Marco looks at him and goes, Oh, wow, you look like someone I'd want to beat up. <laughs> but Tobias says, Now nah, you look good, Axe Man. Is Tobias at the Nordstrom too, or no? They are outside still, about to go into the theater. Okay. Uh, Axeman is apparently Tobias's little nickname for him, which I think's cute. I just read a book where the main character is in a motorcycle club, and his MC name is Axeman, and I hated that book a so much. Oh. Well, thankfully, that is not the case here. Oh, I hate this book too. It's fine. <laughs> well, so things happen in this book that I love. That I have a feeling you will hate as much as I love. Like, I enjoyed this book. I know you will not. Okay. The gang goes to the theater. Oh, this, this is it right here. This is the part. <laughs> the gang goes to the theater and Axe talks about how he's doing this weird human thing where you bend your body a few times and then rest on a pair of fat deposits that are halfway down the back of the body. 
It's this thing called sitting down. He's been a human so many times at this point. Like, why are you so dumb? He's telling the gang that he doesn't understand the plot of this movie that they're watching. And when the movie's over, he says, well, that didn't make any sense at all. Well, he only saw half of it. No, he, he finished the movie. And Jake says, no, Axe, that was just the preview, you idiot. That's not the whole movie. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, yeah. So the cat has got the panties right now. The cat got the panties pretty hard. 100%. Axe doesn't understand why the movies are on a flat two-dimensional screen. But whatever, he'll watch this Earth movie. <laughs> Then Marco hands him some popcorn. Well, you know how Axe can get. Popcorn, and he goes crazy eating it. He talks about how it reminds him of some of these other foods that he loved, like pizza and cigarette butts. <laughs> but Prince Jake told him he's not allowed to eat cigarette butts anymore. Jake, is this not a free country? Well, this reminds me of, uh, well, I mean, Axe in many ways reminds me of Data from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But there was this specific scene in Star Trek Generations where Data drinks, like, he just got his, like, emotion ship and he has senses of taste now. Mm -hmm. He can actually taste things. And he has this alcoholic beverage that he hates. And he goes, oh, it's revolting. I'll have another one. Like that, it's just a new experience, whether it's good or bad. It's the act of having it that is intriguing to him. Or in the first Thor movie, where they go to the club, and he starts drinking beers. Has he had not had beers before? I don't think so, because there, they definitely have like a moment where he's like, ooh, delicious. I don't remember that. Or George of the Jungle, where he eats cans of um, coffee. Yeah. Did he eat the can? No, he ate the, just the coffee crumbs. Okay, well, because... Axe is like, what are these flavors? They're so good. He sounds like me when I'm high. <laughs> Jake's like, uh, it's just salt and grease, man. And he's just eating, going, salt, grease. He's just in he, euphoria over this I feel this like he popcorn. might have like a weird food fetish. People are yelling at him to keep it down up there. And basically, this all goes how you'd expect. Marco just hands him the whole box of popcorn, and he proceeds to just destroy it. He eats the whole box. <laughs> no, Shawnee. He eats the whole yes, I box. Yes, I understood. The movie starts. The humans are watching the movie. It's described as a group of humans and non-humans in uniform on a spaceship. Okay. 1997 on a spaceship. I feel like this is like you're going to, you have much better guesses than I'm Well, gonna. they're watching a Star Trek movie. Yeah, but was there one in 1997? So, Star Trek VI came out in 91, and Star Trek Generations, the one I just talked about, uh, interestingly enough, came out in 94. And keep in mind, we don't know when this is taking place. Yeah. So just because it was the publishing date of the book, so it may be Generations, and we get some more information about the movie. Axe asks, what kind of ship is that on the screen? He mentions that it's very similar to a Hajabrin freighter. The of kiddos course. are like, no, it's it's a fictional ship, Axe. It's it's the Enterprise. Hmm. He's like, yeah, I, I know that. Um, hello, I've seen real spaceships, okay, guys? <laughs> they all have at this point. He goes on to say that the movie was kind of boring, and he didn't know why they kept calling the Anjachiks Klingons. Oh, so it is a Star Trek. It is yeah. a Star Trek movie. Well, yeah, I just said it was the Enterprise. They wouldn't no. have the Enterprise. Oh, no, 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 no. But, like, I love that they're, we've confirmed that Klingons exist somewhere in the Animorphs universe. Yeah. They're just called Ongachiks. <laughs> Axe isn't really paying attention to the movie, but he makes an amazing discovery. You see, when the popcorn ran out, 
he found a lot more popcorn. Is he as on much the floor? As he wants to eat. Is he on the floor? He is on the floor. There is popcorn <sighs> scattered everywhere. He's crawling around eating the popcorn. But then he finds something else. This is else. like such a sensory nightmare listening to it because I can just imagine what it would feel like to be on like the gross carpeting in a movie theater that has like ugh, whatever in there and then it's like popcorn crunches like touching your hands. Well, not only popcorn, but he also finds a small box containing... And a body. No, no. <laughs> Three small brown globules. As much as I hate reading directly from a book, this part is just too good. So I'm going to read Acts Describing these globules. This is also this also explains why you were referring to my lunch of egg bites as globules today. <laughs> <laughs> he says, quote, At that moment, it was as if the entire planet had stopped spinning. Oh, the taste! It was beyond description. Those brown globules were like nothing I'd ever experienced. I felt my life had changed. I felt myself lifted up out of the world of everyday senses to some new level. More. I wanted more. So he found, like, milk duds or meatballs? He found raisinets. Oh, raisinets. Oh, of course. Yeah, you mentioned it at the beginning. Shawnee, you might say he found his raisinette detra. Get out. You're fired. <laughs> You are so fucking fired. I'm proud of that one. That's right up there with the bear claw joke. Jesus Christ. He's desperately looking for more candy on the floor, eating everything that he finds. He has to squeeze past more humans who are making noises as he's passing through. One of them goes, oh, you know what? There's another one for our Animorphs bingo cards. The whole, okay, Axe, now we're going to, what? Where did Axe go? Axe disappearing. I was going to say, like, if if he's been sitting next to them and all of a sudden he just disappears... Just the second-hand embarrassment <laughs> that I have just listening to this is, ugh. I'm actually going to make those bingo cards. I'm just waiting to hear back from some listeners first. I don't think at the time of this recording that episode even aired, but those cards will be fun. Please send us your Animorphs bingo suggestions <laughs> at com. Anyway, people are yelling at him, saying, get away, but he's not getting distracted. He found one bag that had some colorful pellets in it that were filled with chocolate. He discovered M&M's. He looks up and sees a small human in front of him, holding a box that was full of the brown globules. He thinks, okay, okay, I need those, but I can't just take them because the humans would consider it rude. So he gets up off the floor in front of the child and says, please give me your brown globules. Globules. (laughs) Globules. What What is happening right now? The kid starts crying, freaking out, yelling for its mom. He hears Marco in the distance going, Oh, fuck, where did he go? (laughs) Marco and Jake are making their way towards him. He's trying to explain, I merely wish to enjoy more of the brown globules. Jake and Marco grab him. You sound like a child molester. And start pulling him out of the aisle. But he's in a raisinette frenzy. He tries grabbing the box from the screaming child while they're taking him away. Just yelling, no, globules, globules. What food item would make you act like that? Watermelon, Sour Patch Kids. That's such a weird choice. I used to love Watermelon, Sour Patch Kids. And then... 
after I became vegan, I was upset that I couldn't have uh, most gummy candies anymore because they all contain gluten. But whatever, that was a Gel- sacrifice. I was gelatin. Make. What did I say? Gluten. Oh, sorry. Very different. Because they contain gelatin. And then, like, I was like just browsing Reddit and some like random like ten foods you think were vegan, but well, you think weren't vegan, but actually are. And the Sour Patch watermelons were on that list. They're not made with gelatin. And I like got up and got in my car and drove to the store <laughs> that moment. That's... I was so happy. Yeah, you did recently just buy like a five pound bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that that explains a lot. What about you? I want to say it would probably have to be, I do really love a gummy bear, but sometimes. You're so pedestrian. I just, like, why mess with perfection, right? Um, I really like those. I like Mike and Ike's a lot. But I actually never buy them. I know you love, like, all that good pick-and-mix stuff. Could you imagine Axe at a pick-and-mix? Yeah, but there's no good pick-and-mix in the U.S. At least I've never come across. There's, or, like, it's it's like a specialty candy shop. Yeah, that, um... Oh, that, that place in, uh... Where I brought you the pick-and-mix from. Well, there's a there's a place um downtown that's like a sugar it's called like Sugarland or something like that. No, there's there's some place in Braintree. I'll have to look it up. We'll, we'll go there sometime. But also, like, have you been holding out on a pick and mix no, location? I brought you pick and mix. I don't even like oh pick and my mix. God. Now, I'd like to remind you that there is an intergalactic war going on to decide of the the fate of humanity in this. No, book. tell us While more about the brown globules. Yeah. But what I just witnessed is my absolute favorite. Well, one of my absolute favorite Animorph moments to date. I cannot wait to see how Chris Grine portrays this in the the graphic novel for this book. (laughs) Eventually, we're going to do a future episode where we cover, like, the TV shows and the graphic novels. So I don't want to talk about them too much. But my favorite Animorph moments so far, in order. Number three, Marco driving into the trash cans in the first Megamorphs that we just read. Mm-hmm. Just hilariously told. Number two, the elevator scene in the at the end of The Stranger, where they're in the EGS tower, just like in Morph, just sitting <laughs> there going up the elevator. But number one for me right now is the globules. The globules. I mean, that's a pretty good one. Do you have any favorite Animorphs moments? Is it is it Cassie talking about how whales have souls over and over? <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think. The problem is I don't remember much. (laughs) And because I haven't read the books, uh, I don't remember a ton. I mean, like, I guess all the Axe axe food things are pretty funny. But I have to say, like, Price Cop Polly is funny. (laughs) And then the the ceiling, um, what's it called? The skylight thing? Oh, yeah. But that's mostly funny. That was just us. That's mostly because of... Because of Max. Because of Max. So. They're walking out through the mall. Marco's like, all right, no more chocolate for you, Axe. They leave the mall. Tobias is flying above them. He sees the state they're in and is like, wow, guys, was the new Star Trek really that bad? (laughs) Fortunately for them, they all left early on in the movie, so the Animorphs were spared from watching Star Trek Generations. Tobias, being their lookout, tells them that there's a weird situation going on around the corner. Some dude is staggering around, screaming. Tobias thinks he heard him say something about yurks. So they head in that direction. 
They see the man staggering, leaning up against his door. He's screaming, saying, The Yerks! The Yerks! They're everywhere! They're here! They're just following a meth head around. <laughs> well, the man screams and clasps both his hands over his ears. The gang is surprised. They look at Jake and they're like, What do we do now? The man shouts, Die, Yerk! Die! Which is actually German for the Yerk, the. <laughs> but Jake looks at the guy and is like, yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> Which reminds me, where the fuck is my giant eyeball on a throne? I was promised a giant eyeball on a throne. <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> I forgot about I'm that. I'm waiting. I can't wait for them to go to Mordor. Anyway, Rachel's confused because it's been multiple of your Earth weeks since they destroyed the Kendrona. Why is this the first time they're seeing what seems to be York starvation? Mm. Axe is like, I don't know. Maybe their resources are strapped from shuttling so many people back and forth from the mothership to get Kendrona. Who knows? Cassie says, well, can we help him? Prince no, he's an enemy. Well, is he an enemy? He's about to be an ally if his Yerk's about to die. But Prince Jake agrees with you. He says, no, no, we have to stay clear of this. After all, they can't afford to get caught. Jake suddenly smiles and starts to look hopeful. He says, finally, this is happening. I expected this to happen several of your Earth weeks ago. Yerks are dying. Controllers are finally becoming human again. I I think this is finally starting, Mm -hmm. you know, from when they destroyed the Kondrona. He smiled a savage grin and said, people are going to start to come forward now. Sure, they'll think some of these people are crazy at first, but after the first 10, 20, 30 people all come forward with the same story, there's no way the Yerks can cover this up. Yeah, say that to Bill Gosby. What? Oh, you know, just like decades of sexual assault and nobody believed until like 70 women came forward. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, finally, an ambulance and some police cars pull up. Marco's like, well, I know that some police are controllers, but they can't all be. Like, the truth has to get out sooner or later. This is it. Yerks are starting to die, and people are going to find out. Rachel is not buying this. Mm-hmm. She's suspicious. She's like, yeah, but we should have seen this coming a few year Earth weeks ago. Like, why are we just seeing this now? This is kind of weird. Axe admires her. He's like, she's a true warrior. The others are ready to celebrate, but she's looking around and not underestimating her enemy. Yeah, she was also, like, out of commission for, like, at least a week, so... He says the Animorphs are all excited because they think they're starting to win the war. And Axe feels sad for them because he knows the truth. Why don't you tell us, Axe? He knows how the Yerks operate. He thought about Tom and almost told Jake the truth right there. But he can't. He can't tell them the truth. He knows... That this one controller is just an oversight on the Yerks' part. It's not part of a bigger picture. The Yerks don't need witnesses. He knew they would eliminate the screaming man. And even though Jake was his prince, he could never tell him the truth. Because that would only lead to more questions. Questions that he couldn't answer. Not without revealing the terrible truth behind the law of Ciro's kindness. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's let's take an Earth minute to dissect this. Well, first of all, Axe, you're so annoying right now because you're just building a miscommunication trope into this book. Um, I hate it. A little. Yeah, I, I would say a big one. Um, you, if you respect them, then I think you should be honest. 
with them. But what if there's a law that he can't be? The law of Ciro's kindness. Yeah, but it's not an earth law. Who's gonna who's gonna One of your th- earth laws? Who's gonna enforce it? Is law there the law? Is is He's there gonna be back on the homeworld someday? How is he gonna explain this to his uncles? Didn't the homeworld explode? Why would you think the Indolite homeworld exploded? It's headcanon. <laughs> no! I thought No, that never happened. Why? Okay because I thought Axe was like the only one left. Where no. we like in a in like a ship and there was a guard a garden a dome ship exploded a ship is not a planet <sighs> fuck okay go on well anytime something dark and twisted has a friendly name i'm just a fan of that like enola gay molotov cocktail even from thrones the tower of joy mm-hmm. operation iraqi freedom <laughs> now we can add zero's kindness to that list Zero. How do you spell zeros? S e e r o w apostrophe s. Why do you ask? What do, I'm curious the motivation for asking how you spell it. Oh, because I just it, it's easier for me to visualize. Oh, okay, and remember that must be nice. It really is. Secondly, I love it when fan bases take the name from like their in-world element and use that for like their central database or for their fandom, like. Okay, so some examples, some good examples are like the Star Trek wiki is called Memory Alpha, which is a planet like on Star Trek that like is a database of like their central library of knowledge. So Mm -hmm. calling their fan database that is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Or like how Star Wars, you have Wikipedia, which is cute. That is cute. Yeah. And then there's terrible ones like Doctor Who fans are called Whovians. Well, not only that, what's, what's also terrible is their wiki is just called the TARDIS. Why do you know that's so? Not, how, that's not cool. Why at all. do you know so many of like what the wikis are called? Well, you have Nar- Narutopedia, which is very uninspired. Very uninspired. I'm trying to think of like names for like groups of fans. Do you, um, do you know what the name is for fans of Jim Butcher? Take a guess. It's my favorite fandom name. Is it Smiling Breasts? I don't know. They are called Dresden Files. No. P-H-I-L-E-S. No. They're Dresden Files. No. I know. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's even worse than I thought it was going to be. The Animorphs fans have something called Seropedia. Every time I've had to look up anything about the Animorphs for the past several months, I'm on this website. And I'm thinking, what the fuck's up with his name? Seropedia. <laughs> and now I get it. So, whatever's going on here, it's going to be something big. That's what I know. Okay. The man's on the ground, pulling the yerk from his ear, yelling, the yerks are here. Oh, I'm going to be free from the yerks. Axe saw one of the cops pull a small cylinder out of his pocket and press it against the back of the man's neck. <gasps> The is other animorphs didn't see this. Is he getting a Kondrona shot? Oh, he's getting killed. Oh, okay. Yeah, the other animorphs don't see this. Cassie's excited. She says, finally, people are going to know the truth. But Axe knows better. He wishes he could tell them that the human is already dead and that the yerk has crumbled to dust. No evidence will be left behind. And even though these humans were his friends and his allies, he couldn't tell them. The Andalites have their secrets. And the greatest secret of all is their own guilt. No, I don't think it's a secret at this point. You feel 
Not to us. Jake is elated, though. He's like, isn't this great, Axe? And Axe goes, yeah, um, great. I can't wait for this to become messy. On the next one of your Earth days, Axe is at the stream doing his morning ritual. He dips his right hoof in the water and says, from the water who gave birth to us, and then says, and from the grass that feeds us, as he steps back and crushes a tuft of grass. He then spreads his arm and says, for the freedom that unites us. He raises all four of his eyes towards the sky and says, we rise to the stars. And he then stops and says, oh, this is pretty fucking pointless. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. He stopped in the middle of the ritual and thought about how he never did like the rituals. He was never a big ritual guy. But he's so far away from his home that this is something that helps him feel connected to his people. Mm -hmm. So he continues the ritual. He says again, freedom is my only cause. Duty to the people, my only guide. Obedience to my prince, my only glory. Unless there are raisin it's about. <laughs> he heard Tobias in a tree above him. He hesitates, but continues. The destruction of my enemies, my most solemn vow. He stood up, lifted his tail, pressing the blade against his throat, and finishes, saying, I am Aximili Escaruth Isthil, an Andalite warrior cadet. I offer my life. Now, the fact that he hasn't yet been able to take revenge against Fister Three is a sore topic to him. He feels like he'll never be a true warrior until he takes revenge on Fister Three for killing his brother. Well, maybe spend a little less time at the movies. And it was his brother who gave the humans this weird power to morph. He still can't believe Elfangor did that. Mm -hmm. It's never been done before. It breaks the law of Ciro's kindness. Mm. Tobias cuts in at that moment and says, Hey, X-Man, what's up? Axe responds, oh, I'm fine. Even though he is far from fine. You see, he is getting ready to go on his most dangerous mission yet. He is about to go to school. Uh-oh. Wait, why is he going to school? We'll get there. Tobias asks, what were you just doing? Axe explains it's his morning ritual meant to keep Andalite warriors humble. Just then, Tobias says, Whoa, Axe, be careful. There's a rattlesnake behind you. They're poisonous. Aren't they venomous? Yeah, I was just going to get into that. Like, no, no, pretty sure they're not poisonous. You could you could eat a rattlesnake. Yeah. They are, however, venomous, yeah. which would have been the correct word to use. God, um, we're, ner we're so annoying. I will give them credit. They did change that in the re-release and in the audiobook. So I'd like to say thank you to the other pedantic <laughs> nerds who wrote in 27 years ago to get this fixed. <laughs> I appreciate it. Just then, the rattlesnake struck, but luckily it hit Axe's hoof and bounces off. Tobias says, yeah, you better get rid of that thing, man. But Axe was impressed by how quickly it moved. He had another idea. <gasps> Morph. He held it down with his tail and begins to acquire its DNA. Tobias is like, what are you going to use the snake morph for? And Axe is like, why not? It's kind of weird that you guys only get a morph when you need to use it. Yeah. <laughs> Might come in handy someday. Who knows? Maybe even in this very book. Wink, wink. wink. <laughs> I love you. He, like, flips the snake away with his tail, and they make some small talk about the incident in the movie theater. Tobias asks... Uh, speaking of you eating things, we were wondering, how do you eat anyway? Like, we all want to know, but the others don't want to ask you. 
Axe looks confused and says, what do you mean? I, I have hooves, don't I? What? Tobias is also confused. And he goes, all right, you know what? Never mind. Forget I asked. Forget about it. <laughs> Tobias and Axe pal around for a bit. They go through the forest together. Axe talks about how he learned a little about human culture in his xenobiology class in school by watching old human TV shows. Oh, boy. But unfortunately, he didn't really pay attention a lot during class. Tobias talks about how he never paid attention in school either. But they're just chilling. They're getting along. These two outsiders are becoming good friends. And it's really cute. The other Animorphs are approaching, and it's time for Axe to morph into a human to go to school with them. He looks at Tobias' concern and says, I feel bad for leaving you. I don't want you to be alone all day while we're at school. Tobias says, I'll be fine. I'll be flying around above you guys all day. And Axe finds that the fact that Tobias will be flying above him looking out kind of comforting. Hmm. They both spend so much time alone, and they're both cut off from both the other Animorphs and their own people in different ways. Axe likes Tobias, and he thinks that he and Tobias could be Shorms. Shorms? Shorms. we got five Andalite words now. <sighs> Shorm is an Andalite word that literally translates to tail blade, but in this context it means someone you are so close to and that you trust so deeply that they could hold their tail blade right up to your throat and you wouldn't care. You would trust them utterly. Okie doke. But he knows he could never really be truly friends with Tobias because that would mean that they'd have no secrets between each other. And he's taught as an Andalite. He can protect the humans. He can care for them and defend them. But he could never truly be their friends. He's an Andalite. Yes, we know. He meets the Animorphs by the school. Jake asks him how he's doing. Axe goes, I'm fine, Prince Jake. Jake's like, okay, please, wow, this please, is going to be rough. Please stop calling you, me Prince. You can't call me Prince in school, Axe. So Axe morphs into a human. Wait, He's, didn't he already do it? No, he just does it. Oh, okay. He morphs into a human and says, I'm a human. 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 Jake's like, okay, don't, mm, don't do that either. Don't call me Prince. Don't talk like that. Tobias swoops down and goes, aw, Axe's first day of school. Jake's like, no, 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 no. It's his only day of school. We're just bringing him in today to help him understand human school culture so he could be more convincing when he's in his human morph. This is a terrible idea. It really is. They go over their cover story. Axe is Jake's cousin, Philip, from out of state. Should be easy to remember, nice and simple. Nothing can go wrong. Please explain how it goes wrong. Well, reading this now in 2024, it's wild to me that there was ever a time where some random kid who no one else knows can just enter a school for a couple yeah. of your Earth hours and nobody bats an eye. Yeah. Like, I lived through when that could happen, and I still can't believe it happened. Yeah. The humans are walking around the school, carrying books, making mouth sounds, they're all wearing clothes for some reason, which Axe doesn't understand. He's been around humans for so long at this point. He should know. Yeah, well, why do we wear clothes? Like, <sighs> no, really. Because no, nobody wants to see your jiggly bits. <laughs> okay, Marco. What did he say? The, the, the Hasselhoff Law. Ugh. Jake and Axe are walking through the halls, and there they run into Marco and Rachel to keep their cover from getting blown. Jake introduces Axe to them. He says, hey guys, this is my cousin Philip. Axe is like, yes, 
I am Prince Jake's cousin, Philip. I am from out of state. <laughs> Marco just laughs. At Jake's, least he got that right. Jake's like, I, I told you not to call me that, buddy. They go their separate ways. Axe, Jake, and Cassie walk together. He's like, what are all these little doors and why is no one going inside them? Like, Axe, those are the lockers. lockers. <laughs> this is all silly cat panty fun. Suddenly, Axe hears a terrible high-pitched sound. He gets ready to fight whatever monster was making this noise. It's the bell. Yeah, you've read this before. Jake's like, relax, man. It, it, it's how we know class starts. They enter the classroom, and Jake tells his teacher, Mr. Pardue, that this is Philip, his cousin, and he's going to be joining him for the day. Oh, Jake tells the teacher that. <laughs> okay. Right. Got Mr. It. Pardue's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, sit down. They both sit down, and as class begins, the teacher bends over in pain. And starts clutching his ear with his hand. <gasps> Controller! Yep. He falls on the floor and screams, Get out, Yerk! And starts clawing at his head. Jake and Axe look at each other. They know exactly what's going on. While Mr. Pardue is screaming, Jake gets up and rushes next to him. Axe tries to stop him, but it's too late. Jake kneels down and whispers to the teacher, Mr. Pardue, I know what's happening. Just hang in there. Ride it out. The yerk inside you will die, and you'll be free. You'll be okay. Just hang in there a bit longer. More of the students come rushing up, but Axe holds them back. He's like, ah, stay back. It might be dangerous. <laughs> Mr. Pardue rolls on his back and looks up at Jake. Jake says, Mr. Pardue, I've been there. I was a controller, too. I know exactly what you're going through. Just hang in there. Everything's going to be okay. Suddenly, the door swings open, and in walks principal chapman and that's where we'll pick up next week almost almost <laughs> much worse than that oh mr pardue looks up at him in horror chapman says all right nothing to worry about here mr pardue's a little under the weather everyone leave the room go head out into the quad i'll make sure he's taken care of mr pardue's on the ground saying no not him he's one of he's a he's a Chapman yells, everybody out, now. Ugh. All the students leave except for Jake and Axe. Jake locks eyes with Chapman. His fists are clenched. Chapman's like, go ahead, Jake, you and your friend get out. Axe is afraid that Prince Jake is going to reveal himself and blow his cover here. Mm -hmm. He knows they can't afford to take that risk. Axe goes over to Jake and before he can do anything stupid, lifts him up and says, come on, Jake, we have to go. Oh, now he can speak normally. Go. <laughs> Jake came to his senses and gets up to leave. Staring at Chapman, he says, He'll get better, though, right, Mr. Chapman? Chapman walks over towards Pardue and says, Eh, who knows? While ushering Jake out the door. As the door slowly closes, they hear Pardue screaming, No, no, stay away! And they see Chapman take a small cylinder out of his pocket and press it against Mr. Pardue's neck. Then, suddenly, Mr. Pardue became completely silent as the light in his eyes goes out. And that's where we'll end the episode. That's a bummer. Yeah, just murder! Yeah, it's just, now it's just mass murder. But here's the thing, now they're taking over, like, now they're going to have to, like, rebuild their whole controller base if they keep killing everyone. Well, they don't have a choice if the Yerks are dying and the controller is free. 
Yeah. That's like, how, like we, we've brought What's up this the... metaphor before, but what? I don't understand why all the demons in Supernatural don't also kill their hosts. They have <laughs> nothing to lose by it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm just saying I'm excited to see where this goes from here now that the Kendrona has been drained. Now that the globules are dealt with. Ugh, they'll never say globules again. I, I do like the fact that this hits differently because all of the killing in the book that's happened so far has either been like... In battle. In battle or or in, in defense or something like that. Yeah. But like not murdering a helpless dude. I yeah. feel like this just really took the stakes and the like emotional level of this book up a, a whole notch because yeah. Jake just watched Chapman kill a man. Yeah. With no remorse. This is a fucking kid's book. Yeah. Ugh. Well, they, they gotta learn someday. What are your thoughts on the alien so far? Uh, again, it's a little bit of whiplash after all the silliness then to be like, murder. Yeah, I'm just, mo- I just want to hear what, how they, how this York situation is going to get solved. Yeah. That's where I'm at. What do you, what do you think? What are your predictions for the next book? Well, we're in the first first section of this book, so I'm not going to predict anything for the next one. It, yeah, it's not like this is a podcast where we improvise and try to be playful and have some fun and be silly. <sighs> Play with me in this space. I feel like there will they will figure out a way to like reestablish a Kendrona whatever, but it's going to be much more difficult, and the animorphs are going to be able to like hinder it or something like that. I look forward to uh, to finding out with you together next week. I can't wait for the 17 emails we're going to get about it, me predicting that correctly. <laughs> well, since I have finished this book, I, I, I got to the thing that I correctly predicted, mm. uh, which is uh, I was I was so specific and mm. I was dead on <laughs> like I, I pulled a prediction out of my ass at the end of our last reach around towards the end uh with the uh with the giant eyeball on the throne yep um and i i i got it so right oh is that the source of all the kendrona in the universe we'll see okay next time on circle yerk <laughs> you can always uh find us on instagram at circle yerk or you can email us with your questions comments and concerns at circle york at gmail.com and if you're not following us on Instagram, you should, just so you could see our Max the Yerk plushie that our friend Becky made it. You could click like, because it's so cute. <laughs> you can also check us out at circleyerk.ninja for a list of episodes, summaries, information. Thanks to everyone who has been emailing us. Thanks to Val at Turning Pages Design for your amazing graphics and logo. And as always, a very special thanks to Benedict Cupstis for our theme song. Please check him out at fieldguides.bandcamp.com. Until next week. See ya. Bye.